0: Quote uh, from the Buddha. Enraptured with
1: lust, enraged with anger, blinded by delusion, overwhelmed with mind ensnared, people aim at their own ruin at the ruin of others, at the ruin of both, and they experience mental pain and grief. But if lust, anger, and delusion are given up, one aims neither at one's own ruin nor at the ruin of others nor at the ruin of both, and they experience no mental pain and grief. Thus is nibbana, visible in this life, immediate, inviting, attractive, comprehensible to the wise, End of quote. I think we can relate to that as we not only are with our own experience but notice what's happening to our world. This craziness, blinded with lust or desire or what I want, enraged with anger what I want to get rid of, blinded by delusion, mind ensnared, people aim at their own ruin and at the ruin of others and at the ruin of both. If lust or this dunha this compulsive, uninvestigated, Craving, thirst, desire.
0: If lust,
1: anger and delusion are given up, one aims neither at one's own ruin, nor at the ruin of others, nor at the ruin of both. They experience no mental pain and grief. Thus is Nibbana. When we give up, break the spell, aren't just being knocked around by what Ajahn Chah, our teacher, called the, the grasping and the rejection of the mind. And that itself reveals nibbana. Thus is nibbana visible in this life, immediate, always here and now, timeless. Inviting, attractive. It's like a magnet that's pulling filings into order. Our nature, which is underlying, holding, enveloping at the ground of right now our sensations, our moods, thoughts. attractive, comprehensible, to be realized by each wise being. The Buddha goes on to say, the and what monks is the unconditioned? This is me talking now, not the Buddha. Conditioned, What's conditioned? Well, the meeting came together, it will fall apart. Our body feels good, that's a condition arises, and then, oh my goodness, I'm exhausted. Our appearance as a human being is a condition, depending on mother, father coming together. It not being too hot, not being too cold, that we're able to breathe, eat, survive our life right here now is conditioned. This Dharma talks conditioned on one level by me having a voice. My voice goes. If I nod off, One experiences the Dharma talk, is conditioned when one's listening to it. One puts in earplugs, Dharma talk stops. (laughs) The conditions things are rising according to causes and conditions. So, the Buddha is saying, back to the Buddha, what monks is the unconditioned? Cessation of greed, of hatred, and of delusion is the unformed, unconditioned. You think, whoa, what's that? And sometimes we can imagine, you know, all this talk of letting go. And uh, as Tanisha alluded in the questions, uh, where is this taking me? To the peacefulness of a, a doorknob, you know, cucumber. Oh yeah, she broke through a couple of retreats ago, yeah. No, she has not moved. <laughs> no, 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 she's... I think there's a hint of a smile. You know, the, we can wonder, where is this taking us? Is it just taking us to, to be a peaceful doormat? It's unconditioned. And so the Buddha was hesitant to, to offer words. I mean, like nibbana means it's cool. The fires of greed and hatred and delusion have cooled down. Nibbana was a word in common uses that when the rice cools, it nibbanas. So a Pali scholar told me, I don't know this for myself. Cooling. Unconditioned. It's not. It's not conditioned. The Buddha was hesitant to give words because then we grab onto them. The words are useful. They're signposts. But if we attach to the signpost, we don't get to the destination. Signposts are useful. We want to go to New York. It's helpful to. San Francisco, wherever we want to go, it's helpful to have a signpost, but if we, you know, camp out under the sign, yeah, well, pretty neat. <laughs> I don't see any apples, big apple, but it says New York, there it is. So, you know, you have words for this ineffable, fundamental principle, I and mean, people, you know, like God, the true nature, the higher self, and people, you know, grasp at the word, grasp at the signpost. And use it almost as a battering ram. Do you believe in God? I mean, it is useful to trust. Trust. Not blind faith, but... The Buddha, the saints, and sages says there is a freedom. There is an unconditioned, unborn, undying, ever-present ground that can be experienced right here and now. That's at the core of one's nature. It's useful to to at least trust that possibility. We might not think we have faith, but if uh, we all have a certain amount of trust in faith, if we really believe that when you're dealt the cards, that's it. You're just that way. If we believe that, we probably wouldn't go on meditation retreats. Uh, We somehow trust that there is a path activity whereby we can get perspective on, see through our, our fears, anxieties, limitations, afflictions. There's a possibility of growing and deepening in peace, wisdom, compa- capacity to compassionately respond and, and, and alleviate suffering. So r- rather than believing... In, in the Dhamma, it, it's more experience to, what we're training ourselves to do is to experience, to taste. The third noble truth is to be tasted, to be realized, to be experienced this cessation of suffering, this unconditioned. But because, uh, you know, sometimes there is this worry, oh wow, this is just going to take me to... And we can go into bizarre states as we as our whole reality gets turned. But if we're patient, you know, the Buddha went on to give some other, you know, when pressed, other words to help us get a feeling, hey, when we do this practice of of investigating and and realizing when we're asking something to give us what it can't give us, that's stressful. But what the heck, it's all I know. If I let go, what's going to happen when I let go? Well, yes, there—that that is a challenging transition. But that's why So sometimes these uh, other words that the Buddha gives help us trust a little more. It's okay to soften and relax and allow the changing and ungraspable nature of sounds and sights and smells to to be what they are as we rest and settle more into this part of our being that is measureless. The Buddha went on to say, "The and what is this path leading to this destination of Unconditioned. He said mindfulness directed to the body. This is called the path leading to the ending of suffering. And um, these are some other of the uh, words and, and phrases that the Buddha used to describe this unconditioned, this what appears when we let go of grasping and rejecting and being confused in a spell about conditions. He called it the the truth, the subtle, the hard to see, the everlasting. The invisible, peace, the deathless, or the undying, the supreme goal, the blessed, was one of the phrases that he used, the blessed, the safe and secure, the wonderful, The marvelous, the non-affliction, the pure, freedom, the refuge, the beyond. release, the unborn. These are some of the words that the Buddha used to encourage us. It's not, this activity is not taking us to a, a bad place. The great Zen master Huang Po said, We cannot become what we have always been. We can only become intuitively aware of our original state, previously hidden by clouds of illusion. We cannot become what we have always been. We can only become intuitively aware of our original state, Previously hidden by clouds of illusion. This pathway to this destination, this home ground, this refuge, this peacefulness. Buddha said mindfulness of the body, just what we've been doing. Encouraging ourselves. Yes, there's an application to make effort to return to being here, now. Whether we're standing or sitting or walking or running or lying down. And to, you know, we have cultivating moments of connection to actually how it is. We've just discovered some measure, and one can, you might not feel it, but if, as I sit here and feel the whole room, we've all collectively metabolized a lot of restlessness, a lot of dullness, a lot of agitation, and wanting to be somewhere else. I'm not saying its we're not still there and entangled, but there's a tangible... Aura of more composure. It's been a gift, an absolute gift, wonderful gift to be able to listen in. And thank you so much for sharing your practice, not just in terms of your presence here, but in our small group interviews. It's been a treasure to just listen in, share this cultivation that we're doing together. One of the fruits is more capacity to enjoy the simplicity of just breathing, being. And even what's not easy to be with, in relaxing and learning to open that, we become more noble and wise to the true nature of being human. That there's pleasure and pain. And and as we've been then slightly using some of that composure, not just to hide out in peaceful states, though peaceful states are beautiful, and if we haven't had any for a while, sometimes it's really important to have a drink. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure how that came out. In my early high school days. (laughs) And my schizophrenic tendencies of of just, I was just compulsive about achieving things and then uh, uh, didn't know how to cope. So my nibbana in those days was just uh, drinking alcohol with not good results. Talk about blinded by delusion. I went to a party when I was, I don't know, I think 17. 18 it was uh, and I uh, consumed uh, too much uh, alcohol and drove my friend's jeep into the lake thinking it was funny (laughs) and he didn't think it was funny it was stupid but that's not the kind of drink I was talking about when we're really (laughs) composed and peaceful even a little bit, to relax and allow that to touch ourselves. And there's been so much distress in our world now. That's important. And when I mean take a drink, give ourselves permission to, to pause, to refresh, to calm. It's like if you're really thirsty, we take a drink of water. And um, how do you know how much to drink? Well, we intuitively feel when we've had enough. And Tanisra was mentioning this importance of two kinds of peace, the peace of samadhi, of calm, and then the peace that comes from wisdom. Now, the peace from calm is important because when if we're too stressed out by all our and there's a lot of nobility in this room people who are doing really good things and we get burned out because there's so it's so challenging in so many ways and so to be able to refresh is important but if we only want that in, the, in my early days that was me because I'm a, a actually a though I'm sitting up here talking, I'm actually a bit of a hermit. Uh, I mean, that was my, I love peacefulness. Like in growing up in Tennessee, when we went as kids ski on Lake Chickamauga, water ski, on a summer evening when it's calm, the lake is like glass. just it's peaceful if you whisper you can almost hear it reverberating across the lake. and you know you hear and that's me probably out there skiing but when I'm wanting to be peaceful what's that boat disturbing and the waves and the sounds and if one's attached just to tra- that kind of tranquility then that's causes distress which is all right the tranquility is important in the monastery for for years I had a war against clocks ticking clocks because I I uh, just that tick was like a Too much disturbance. And then in the month-long retreat, our abbot went and brought a big ticking clock and set it right... I'm thinking, maybe he's getting deaf. So I surreptitiously put cloths under the clock to try to get it to muffle the sound, find a, a quieter one. And I can, you know, hear to this day Ajahn Chah smiling, oh, my child, not smart. He's not, <laughs> he's not very smart, you know. But, you know, you know, finally start to get the message that, you know, if we're just wanting to be calm, then we're afraid of contact. Yes, some protection and calm, very important to drink our calm, but to, to not just, as what Ajahn Chah calls, stay hidden away in the trenches, because then we're still frightened. That kind of peace is still able to be disturbed. And that's why this vipassana, looking into the nature, and to also, and it's not a big change, but to also reflect that peaceful states are impermanent. It's still skillful to cultivate them, but they are impermanent just as sounds are impermanent. And in the peaceful state, the breathing, expanding and contracting is impermanent. And the thoughts and perceptions and feeling tones are impermanent. And then when we really, really start to see impermanence in a steady way, then we start to really understand the subtleties of dukkha unreliability that that which is really changing if you want it to be a certain way that's just a recipe for trouble that's fighting nature You've many of you have heard this before but Ajahn Chah in a very earthy way would just say that's like going up to a um, duck and saying why aren't you a chicken I mean Look, quack, 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 it's okay, but, you know, try this cuckle doo wake, wake people up. It's, it's like, he said, it's like uh, standing by a river and shouting at it, you're flowing the wrong way. <laughs> or he said, it's like boxing a tree. You're going to get hurt. <laughs> Wanting things to be certain that are not certain. Looking for certainty in that which is not certain. Wanting praise to be certain. Wanting success to be certain. Wanting pleasant feeling to be certain. Just like the day becomes dusk. Just like the in-breath. No, actually, wouldn't it be good if there was just the in-breath, Kitty saw? Inspiration. Expiration is when the food's gone bad. Inspiration. <laughs> it's when it's bright, it's buoyant. Expiration. Out of date. <laughs> Sour. Bad news. But that's not nature. Only wanting the inspiration. <laughs> Means half the time. Oh my God! Oh, there it is. Good, good, good. good. Oh man, hotel. Oh man, hotel. Oh, here it comes, here it comes. All right, come on, get, get in there. Yeah. Oh my dear, bad breath, out breath. Oh God, I hope nobody's here to smell this. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, and you know it's. But it's, it's funny, but, it, you know, we, we want the pleasure, we don't want the pain. We want things to go well, we don't want things to go bad. Well. But as we start to see that, that's when I first met Ajahn Chah, early on. And he asked me, you know, what I'm going to do, I was going to get enlightened and... Um, and then, and, then, and then after that, oh, well, I'll go back to Oxford and finish my thesis. And I, after that, I'll, I'll be a doctor. And after that, and he just kept, after that, after that, and then he picked up the spittoon, <laughs> And he just kept running his finger around the circle. Round and round and round and say, buh, am I? This, this Thai word is incredible. Buh. It sounds like you're kind of indigestion. And, <laughs> Buh, my. It means, are you weary yet? <laughs> are you weary? And uh, I don't didn't understand at the time, but uh, maybe I did, because I was on some level. And, and when we've seen the getting excited, and then it passes, and getting excited, that world weariness, that dispassion, starts the great return, that disenchantment, the spell that Nisha was talking about, the way of how these hindrances enchant us. And when we really start to see change, that that's inevitable and things are, and then we start to get the sense for anatta, it's not mine. It's part of nature. It's empty of solidity like a bubble, it's there and it's gone, pop. The, when the Buddha gave that Dharma talk, uh, Pawan alluded to it on the four noble truths, the ennobling truths, at the end of the discourse, the Buddha exclaimed, kandanyo knows. kandanyo knows. Kundanyo was one of his, those five ascetics that accompanied him and then abandoned him when he had received the offering from Sujata, the young maiden who would offered the milk rice. Then the newly awakened Buddha went and gave that talk. On the Four Noble Truths, and at the end of the talk, Kandanya knows. And then the Buddha said what well, Kandanya knows, so you think, well, I better get my notepad out. All right, lay it on me. <laughs> Kandanya knows that all that arises ceases. It might not sound like much, but let that penetrate. Everything that arise has the nature to arise, has the nature to cease. Every sound that arises, ceases. Every form that comes together, comes apart. The experience that begins, ends. Kandanya's dharma eye opened, he entered the stream, he tasted Nibbana. Now it's not mentioned in that discourse, but Kandanya in a Mahayana discourse gives the image that also helped him in the Sharangama Sutra. Uh, which, mean, which I mentioned the other day, means ultimately durable. It means indestructible. The indestructible samadhi. It's another way of talking about our true nature is indestructible. And Kandanyo talks about uh, how he broke through and he said, the image guessed dust. Helped him. See the true nature. He gave a a simile. He gave us an image. He said, if there's a a guest house or a hotel, guests come, have a meal, maybe stay the night, but leave. But the host remains. And on a morning when light is coming through a window or crack in the wall. And that ray of light illuminates the dust dancing. The dust is dancing. But the space is unmoved. The space around the dust is unmoved. Guest Dust, that which moves, the guest comes and goes, the host remains. The dust dances, but the space is untroubled by the dust dancing. This is a key, this is a a doorway back to this ever-present unconditioned. These sounds are arising and ceasing. The breath is swelling and subsiding. The sensations of our body are intermixing with the sound of my voice, intermixing with with any perceptions that we might be having, intermingling with the the sight of your eyes open up of the room. This cascade of shifting and changing it's like dust dancing. It's movement. But it's happening in a, what's the host? What What is the spacious like? Context or matrix. When a sound comes and goes, when the sound ends, we don't just keel over dead. A sound appears, the sound dissolves, but the listening nature remains. We get so contracted around the apparent solidity of my good thoughts, my bad thoughts, the pleasant feeling, wow, it's good, it's bad. But as we get more composure... And then start to allow ourselves to notice this changing nature, then we start to notice the context, the ground, the heart itself, the awareness.
0: In a famous,
1: succinct, teaching called the Mulla Sutta, the Root Sutra. Root. Just ten lines. Very profound. Rooted in desire, friend, are all things. Born of attention are all things. Arising on contact are all things. Converging on feeling are all things. Headed by concentration are all things. Ruled by mindfulness are all things. Surmountable by wisdom are all things. Yielding deliverance as essence are all things. Merging in the deathless are all things. Culminating in nibbana are all things. When our desires are uninvestigated, what we want Seems so real, and we're moving towards it. And what we don't want is so real, we're moving away from it. And the ground that's right in front of us is overlooked because we're moving to, we're moving away from, rooted in desire, born of attention. And this headed by concentration, this is not the kind of concentration that we're cultivating. There can be a kind of spell where we're concentrated, but we're concentrated on vengeance or concentrated on getting our way or concentrated on get, get out of my way. I'm getting there. We're fixated, and that is our world. The first five lines lead up to how the world is built like that. And the turning point is ruled by mindfulness. Mindfulness starts to make connections with how things actually are. Surmountable by wisdom are all things, whatever it is, if our mindfulness is steady enough then we start to notice in any moment whether we're feeling good or feeling bad, whether we're in samadhi or whether... I ain't seen samadhi for decades (laughs) I ain't seen samadhi for decades even that don't think oh god samadhi I don't they're talking about jhana's absorption I can barely sit still everybody's sitting like buddhas around me and I'm squirming like I'm on a anthill Ajahn Chah said, if you have enough concentration to read a book, you can get enlightened. Wait a minute, Kitty then why are you putting us through all this? <laughs> I'm just saying. The more composure we cultivate, great for the sake of refreshing ourselves. But don't just hide out there. Even if we don't have much, and I ain't seen somebody for decades, even if we have some As Ajahn Chah would say, if something's hurting, you say, hey, what's that? That's the dukkha. That's the ennobling truth. Hey, what's that? Then we turn to it, stand under it. For example, pain, exhaustion, oh, not that again. Golly, it's keeping me from trying to breathe better. You know when Ajahn Chah said, are those boulders heavy? And the monk said, yes, yes, they're heavy. And he said, not if you don't. Try to lift them. That's what we're doing when when we're suffering. Sometimes we're just, we're we're wrestling with that pain in the back. Oh, why is it there? Or that ticking clock. Or that story Tanisha told about Our Western teacher, Ajahn Samedo, being frustrated, he had to sweep the leaves with the novices. And Ajahn Chah said, is the suffering in the broom? Where's the suffering? Is it in the leaves? And in a moment when, hey, what's that? When we see we're struggling with something, there can be a softening and there can be, a it still might be painful but the pain of not wanting something to be as it is magnifies it. That can be the release. Ajahn is a an example, an earthy example. You know, we think we have a favorite pen, I can relate to that. So, so, and they, they keep disappearing. I'll say, Tanisha, do you got my pen? It's... I've mislaid it somewhere. But, you know, when you think you've lost it, oh, gosh. And then he he tells the story, and you realize, oh, I put it in the other pocket. And so that feeling's there, and then it's gone. That's that's, called, that's cessation. It It was there, and then it's gone. Or those of you who know airports, and me, I'm... Believe me, we were laughing before the teachers. We're all works in progress. I'm a work in progress. So, you know, forgive me for things I say, do, that aren't. I'm still working on it. That aren't right. But cultivating, and being in an airport and trying to keep it all together and get through the lines. And have you ever had the situation? I've certainly had it. Suddenly I think, where's my bag? and the, the passports, and the uh, uh, credit cards, and where's my bag? <laughs> and, you know, I've left a passport on a desk before, but, you know, where is it? And then, you know, one sees it. Oh, it's there, all that dukkha, and then, Pah. heaven and hell can be just like that. Even if we don't feel like we have a lot of Samadhi. There's something. Ah, there is dukkha. What's happening? Ah, oh, don't want it to be this way. And then softening. Ah. Rule by mouth, mindfulness, surmountable by wisdom, yielding deliverance as essence or all things. Every circumstance has as its essence freedom, deliverance. Isn't that amazing? But when we're busy thinking it should be different, we miss that. And it can be, I'm so glad, Tanizra, the question, wonderful question, and then she spoke about the five bases of success at the question period and how, you know, it's sometimes because letting go of grasping is so fundamental for touching into this ground of being, sometimes it seems like uh, the path is just kind of blop, you know, just becoming that. The Buddha taught suffering is to be understood. Yes, the causes of suffering are to be let go of. The end of suffering is to be tasted, but the path is to be cultivated. There is that which is to be cultivated, to be done. The Buddha himself, after his complete awakening, the thought arose, what can I do? Then he, he, uh, he, he had the thought, those who have nothing to serve live unhappily. But what can I serve? I don't have a teacher. Because he did. He realizes. But he realized, I can serve the Dharma. I can serve this, this mysterious nature. Merging in the deathless are all things. We see all these different, Tall, short, big, small, medium, this person, that person, all our different complexities, but all this so called thingness merges in that which never dies. Just an analogy, but just as trees we can identify the oak trees, the evergreen trees. Birch trees, eucalyptus trees, the ones we like, the ones we don't like, indigenous trees, the invasive trees. But where do they all merge? Notice this time of year, the leaves have fallen, they merge back into the ground, the roots draw from Mother Earth. If you go deep down into the roots, then you, you can't distinguish anymore between this tree, that tree. All the trees merge in the ground, Mother Earth. All the distinctions of our experience merge in this heart of listening. That which remains every sound, every experience culminating in the Nibbana are all things. And so in our practice, we're not saying one just gives up activity, but as we touch into this ground of being, we're connecting to a source of infinite potentiality for recharging where every form dissolves and can manifest anew in the next moment. The Buddha also taught to turn the mind to the deathless. Actually, so in our investigation, Vipassana not only sees the changing nature of sounds and forms and feelings and thoughts, But just like kundanyo, and when we realize that all that arises ceases, we realize that can't be grasped. And that trying to grasp it or just get rid of causes distress. So when there's the relaxing, we have the opportunity to sense that which doesn't move. What never moves. Chanting the Heart Sutra. And you think, what is that about? No eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, mind. Form is not different from emptiness. Well, the forms keep dissolving into the emptiness. The emptiness manifests as form. Thought wants to say that form is there, a bubble is there, and then pop, it's it's not there. It appears, and we say it's there. It exists, and pop. Language is trying to... The Heart Sutra is pointing to the, the... how the seduction of language. Language is powerful as a tool, but when we want language to truly describe reality, then then we're, we're trying to ask language to do what language can't do. And a big part of following kandanya, touching into the deathless, deepening in that understanding, is our relationship to thought. The Buddha was once asked by a great Deva, Saka, king of the gods. He said, Lord Buddha, Devas as well as humans, we we want to live in harmony, we want peace, we want harmony, but we end up living in hostility. Why? We can certainly relate that into our world now. And the Buddha traces it back. He said that is because of stinginess and envy. Wanting to hang on to my stuff. Wanting what someone else has. And then he traces that back to having what I want and what I don't want. And he traces that back to desire, and traces that back to thinking. And the root cause of it all is what the Buddha called Papancha-sanya-sankhā. Papancha means this proliferating tendency. It's called conceptual proliferation. It's when our relationship to thought is not wise. And even the shortest word in English, the easiest word to write, just one little short line, I. We concretize that and think that really relates to an, an entity, a thingness. As soon as there's an I, there's a you. As soon as there's a here, there's a there. A subject, object. And, and it creates all this complexity. And then compulsive thinking and all these thoughts assail us. I'm doing better, I'm doing worse, they like me, they don't like me, I did it right, I did it wrong, I'm not sure what to do. Then that misunderstanding of thought, then we start to become a refugee from our own true nature as we're, we're spinning around these thoughts and preferences. The papancha leads to compulsive thinking, leads to then just trying to hang on to what we like and get rid of what we don't like. This is not evil. But then that then leads to this, can lead to this stinginess, this envy and conflict. So the Buddha said, what's so important for us and I'm really encouraging us to touch thoughts too with our composure. Start to to allow thoughts to be seen as changing. Kuan Yin's method of meditation is turning the mind to the deathless. It's returning the hearing to listen into this ever-present nature. And an important part of that is listening to our thoughts. And as our teacher used to encourage us, mind the gap. I know those of you who've been to London, in the underground, that voice on the loudspeaker system, mind the gap. And they're, they're warning you, don't fall into the gap between the train and the, and the platform. It's scary, the gap. But for meditators, we love the gap. (laughs) We dare to plunge into the gap because it's magic. Learn to let a thought arise and as we contemplate the cessation of a thought and the gap before the next thought and start to learn how to use the thought, then let a thought subside and get a feeling for the matrix, the ground. The thoughts are like traveling through the sky-like heart as we mind the gap. We start to get a sense for when the heart is not fabricating, creating, not separating everything out through being in a spell from our thoughts. So it is said as space is to form and silence is to sound so is awareness all phenomenon all experience so letting go is allowing us to it's not the only thing we do but it's an important thing and especially in this heart of the retreat whatever we're struggling with we can see it changing and get a sense that this is all happening in the spaciousness of awareness, just like all the beings, our forms, there's no such thing as a form without space. The empty space, forms come in and leave and the space is untroubled. We're so captivated by the sounds of what we like, what we don't like, the good thoughts, the bad thoughts, but if we notice the gaps, the silence that surrounds Every sound, every thought, the listening silence, the timeless, knowing silence. That's why the Buddha is called the silent sage. Space is the form and silence is the sound, so is awareness. This is not far away. It's always here and now. It's not when we're in some catatonic state. The Buddha is awake looking at people and he says, this is peaceful. This is sublime. Namely, the stilling of all formations. The relinquishing of all attachments the destruction of craving, dispassion, cessation, nibbana. Not somewhere else, right here. Thank you for your patience. Those who wish to do some walking are welcome to do walking. Those who listen in and it seems time to rest, rest well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.